Lewis Raymond Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today, sir. Um, I, I want to just go back in time, should we say, find a 13-year-old you and say, just to let you know, young man, in the future, you will be a motivational speaker. You'll run a business worth 25 million pounds. You'll be running a company with uh, a headcount of over 80 people living out of, you know, Miami, Dubai, London, Bali. What would a 13-year-old you say to that? It probably uh, think it was on some kind of drug and try and steal your wallet. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah, thirteen year old me wasn't in the best place, um, but um, yeah, there was no, there was no idea of what was possible for me at that point. You know, I, I didn't think that someone like me could ever uh, evolve into the person I have, uh, let alone uh, even change the person I was or even change the behaviour or my circumstances. So it would have been a sheer disbelief uh, at that stage. Yeah, no, absolutely. And let's let's go into a little bit more of your story, if that's all right, because it's a it's a really, really fascinating one. So could you just give us kind of the, the key notes, shall we say, of, of your upbringing kind of to this point? Yeah, and it would have to be definitely sort of the key notes because uh, it can go on for a while. I did a documentary recently and ended up sharing my story for seven hours because it's that in depth. But um, yeah, so from a young age, my dad was uh, verbally abusive to me and physically abusive on occasion, but very verbally abusive. You're a buffoon, you're stupid, you never amount to anything. He was an alcoholic. My mum was very emotionally disconnected as well, so I didn't really have this nurturing family environment. And from a young age, I was naughty. So from the age of five years old, I was naughty. And then as that progressed, you know, um, I started to get naughtier and naughtier and that led into criminality and things like shoplifting and uh, criminal damage and lighting fires and things like that. And um, I was sexually abused when I was 11 as well, which contributed to it uh, and my behavior. But it was ultimately just this need for significance um, and love, which I didn't really, obviously didn't feel like I was getting, but didn't have the um, understanding at the time that that was what I was looking for. And I was just looking for something. And I guess I was you know, looking for attention in some way. On reflection, you kind of have to piece these puzzles you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together to work out why things turned out the way they did. Um, I had had no awareness of this in the time, but on you know, looking back on it, it kind of made sense. Criminality um, started to progress. I had an ASBO at fourteen. I was expelled from school at fifteen. I've recently looked through all the paperwork of all my school reports and letters that were sent home, and they're like, Lewis's behaviour is bizarre. He's refusing to accept any authority of staff. And, you know, in the end, it was just escalation after escalation and expelled. And then I was in a young offenders institution by the time I was 18. Um, I had three different mental health diagnoses over the years, antisocial personality disorder, emotionally unstable personality disorder, and bipolar type two. I was prescribed antipsychotic medication for that. At one point, I was even I, at one point, I even slit both sides of my my throat. The camera's probably not quite clear enough to see it, but I had a st stitched up and a scar for many years um, and was uh, sectioned under the Mental Health Act. And, yeah, spent three times in prison in the end, uh, selling drugs, um, walked in and found my dad dead at one point from his alcohol abuse. And my life was a complete and utter chaos of drugs, alcohol, violence, crime. Uh, and that led me up to being about 24 years old. So that's the summary. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, when you, when you talk about like, especially when you're going through 
um, you know, a 12-step program or something like that or alcoholism, they talk about, you know, rock bottom being a, a very big thing. And, you know, you, you were right there. And then, you know, to come out of that, to do what you have now is, is incredible. Could you just tell us a little bit about kind of coaching masters and what you do, you know, how you led to, to start the business? Yeah. Well, the first uh, realization happened in prison, as cliche as it was, my third prison sentence. Um, you know, I realized that I couldn't keep blaming everything and everyone around me for why my life was so difficult and, you know, refused to take any responsibility for myself. So I, for once in my life, realized that if I wanted my life to change, I had to change myself. But for some reason, I'd never got that until that point. Um, started to engage with the services that are inside prison, maths and English department. There was a there was a rehab program inside prison. Went to the gym, read books and things like that. And then ended up getting a position in a six months rehab post prison. So I was released from prison after serving uh, an 18 month sentence for GBH. They picked me up from the prison gates, took me directly to a, a rehab center in Portsmouth in the south of the UK, where I spent six months in a you know, 12 step recovery program, like you mentioned, and uh, they broke me down and rebuilt me. And when I walked out of that place, I just felt lighter. And I started to, I actually did some charity work and it was a part of my probation um, and stuff like that and realized that it was felt good to help people. But then through this awareness and this transformation that I've had of getting clean and sober and all the things that I'd learned, because actually to get clean and sober, you have to fix yourself. <laughs> I thought they were going to teach me how to not drink and not take drugs, but actually they taught me about myself. And then I did no longer needed to take the drink and drugs. And through this transformation of getting clean and sober and managing my behavior, I realized that I picked up so many powerful lessons and not just that, but I've been around so many people and, you know, in rehab, in AA meetings and, narcotic anonymous meetings as well um when i came out of rehab and just saw their relapses their denials their breakthroughs their stories their traumas and just absorbed it all and then i realized how much i'd learned so i started to help people for free i used to meet up with them in costa coffee i don't know if this is an international audience but that's a coffee uh, franchise here and um i don't know if it's a franchise but it's a coffee chain here in the uk and I meet up with them for free and I'd just help them because it felt good and I knew I had lots to offer. And then I started to realize that, wow, you know, these people are getting great results. And this was about seven years ago now. It, coaching was in its infancy and it's grown a lot since. But um, I didn't even know what a life coach was. But then when I started to Google it and do a bit of research around it, I realized that maybe I could become a life coach. I did some training, built a coaching business to six figures in seven months. And the base, you know, and I was on benefits. So when I came out of prison, they took me to rehab. Then they put me on employment support allowance. Then they gave me some housing funding. And then I was able to get an access course to go to college as well, which I passed, got into uni and dropped out of in the end because I didn't realize it was the path for me. But they gave me all this support that got me to the point where I was able to start a business and make six figures in seven months. And I was blown away to obviously go from one extreme to the other. And then the business just progressed really. From there, I realized that I needed to start creating, oh, I had no time left. So I needed to move out of one-to-one -one and into sort of more creating digital assets like courses, membership sites, technology, team members, um, automation, things like that. And the company has grown now to the point where we're more of a, an ed tech company. So we have you know apps on the Oculus, we have our own app on App Store. Um, and we provide education for other coaches that want to become a life coach. So we, we provide the academy, 
to actually train you to become an accredited coach. And then also the business training to go out and build a freedom-based passion-led online coaching business, which is exactly what I did because I was able to go and travel and do this from anywhere in the world. And when the pandemic hit, we had this business and we quadrupled overnight, you know, well, we quadrupled in that year, our, our revenue. And as it stands today, yeah, we're, a, we, last year we were valued at $25 million, um, team of 80 members, customers over 81 countries, $7 million in revenue and, yeah, having fun with different things like VR and AI and really started to take things to the next level now as I've moved to London, uh, back into London to to seek um, more investment to really take things to the next level. And yeah, life is very different. I've been mar- I'm now married uh, to a very beautiful Venezuelan South, South American woman that was living in Miami. And uh, we got our first child on the way due in four months. So um yeah, things are very, very different than what they were, I think, seven years or eight years ago now when I was released from prison. Yeah, no, absolutely. Congratulations on both fronts, shall we just lead with. Uh, we'll definitely get more into kind of, you know, coaching masters and the, the kind of tech side. But, you know, there's definitely a difference between chatting to someone in a coffee shop and deciding, you know what, I'm actually just going to start my own business. Because, I mean, that's that's quite a jump. And, you know, frankly, not many people have the balls to to take that step. Um did, how you know? Did you have an entrepreneurial past? Was that something? Obviously, you mentioned selling drugs, which is a very, very different kind of industry. But uh, you know, how, how how did you kind of find taking the step of just being like, you know, I'm going to back myself. I'm starting a business. Let's go. Yeah, as, as cliche as it is, I've always been the entrepreneurial person. You know, even at, you know, entrepreneurs are typically quite risk um, not risk averse. They're, they're able to take risks. They've got less fear. They're, more creative they defy norms and you know want to be quite disruptive to a lot of the you know a lot of the time and i was like that but it was always channeled in the wrong areas but i did start you know a drug dealing business and also when i was selling drugs i wasn't selling them myself i had people you know selling it for me so i i understood very clearly quickly how to do that in the right way um yeah yeah, I always wonder whether or not people are going to knock on my door, police are going to knock back on my door and say, you just, did you just tell everyone you're a drug dealer? But I don't think they can do that anyway, because I was I was never in trouble for any drugs um, because I, I didn't get any involved with it personally. I did in the beginning, but very quickly realized that wasn't the way to, to scale it. <laughs> it's just the same as I did with my coaching business. So I also, at one point when I was on trial for two years, so I was, I was on trial for two years uh, for other offenses and I was looking at eight year prison sentence. And uh, during that time, I got my head down and I was able to get a two-year suspended sentence and a a huge community order. And um, during that time, I had to not get into trouble. And I did actually start a a business where I bought a bouncy castle and and a a set of sumo wrestling suits and rented those out. It was called Hype Events. That was technically my first business. And then when I was 16 years old, someone gave me a flyer in the street and was like, hey, do you want to come and work for this telly? No, I was 15 years old. They gave me a a flyer for this telesales company. I was like, do you want to make £100 today and work on the phones? And I was like, yep. And then I went in there and I started doing the phone calls. And then at the end, there was like, what's your national insurance number? You can start a job. And I was like, I haven't got one, I'm 15. So anyway, when I came back to 16, I, I went there and I got a job there. And then I, again, I, again, later on in life, a few years later, I was like, well, why was I working for them? And then I went to the boss and I spoke, spoke to them. And I said, well, how much would you give me if I was to give you one of those deals? And then I opened up this little office and I had five people working for me, like my mates, you know, other sort of, what did you say, criminals? I don't say they're full-on criminals, but probably weren't the best business 
people and got them on the phones commission only selling these business business phone lines at the time and then middlemaned it and then sold it to the to the owner of this company so definitely entrepreneurial but amongst it chaos as well so taking drugs and fighting and all sorts of stuff amongst these um these endeavors and it never really taken off because obviously my circumstances wouldn't facilitate much growth there um but yeah for sure and then when it came to the life coaching i just saw the value I had to offer. It was very obvious. And it started to get to the point where it was coming inbound to, so fast that I, it was just an obvious demand and, you know, for what I had to offer. So I ran with it really, you know, and um, very quickly started doing it online way before online was even, you know, online was a thing, but it really wasn't seven, like seven years ago. People were really still doing the networking events, giving out business cards. It was, and um, I was one of the, first i believe there was definitely others but one of the first coaches or maybe one of the first hundred or a thousand or ten thousand or something but a very minute proportion of the industry that started to uh do my sessions online uh do a facebook video at the time before zoom even existed and using social media to share content about my story to attract clients and and, and do that from my laptop and i started traveling southeast asia like five years ago and this was during my college and university. So I had this three-month gap uh, between college and going to uni. I thought, oh, I'll just go to Asia. So I traveled five countries around Asia and still did my clients online. And I was like, oh, wow, I don't actually need to live in England anymore, you know? So it just, it just unfolded, really. And I think I was just already had that ability to, to see the opportunity and and, and removed all my demons as it were to the point where I was able to really just take it forward and not stop because of the other endeavors that I had, I would somehow give up on because not, they weren't working. It was just because I just got myself in so much trouble that they just disappeared or sabotaged them. And, uh, this time it managed to, managed to work. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, it's again, just listening to you kind of say that and kind of doing the research and stuff like that, there's, you, you definitely have a, to put it mildly, a, a disdain for authority, shall we say, which is yeah. something that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs have exactly the same thing. But, you know, you've definitely got this kind of disruptor in you and, you know, kind of coming into a, a you know, an industry and effectively making it your own, um, you know, like you said, kind of breaking a lot of ground as far as the internet stuff goes. I mean, did you how did you kind of feel about that disruption was that something did you just go like you know everyone's doing it this way i'm going to make something completely different how, how did you feel about being a disruptor at that time well do you know my dad was an it manager and he bought me a computer when i was four years old it was before even the internet was about and it was i literally had paint on it <laughs> that's the only thing i had on it um if anyone remembers microsoft paint i think it still existed though but um so i was always quite technically aware for some reason because of that i guess and i saw social media and stuff as like this obvious way of of reaching more people but for some reason people hadn't quite adopted it by that point and um i started to do some of the local networking meetings and i just looked around me and just saw zero opportunity and i just thought and i and i saw a lot of competition as well within a very small period like space and it was very toxic you know and i and I think, and there was people making up rumors about me and everything. Like, and, I, and I thought, wow, this is a really, this isn't a place where I can grow here. I need to go after the whole world. I have to go international because th this is, you know, someone's local territory that they've been playing in for 20, 30 years. And I don't really want to get involved with it. And, you know, there's a much bigger opportunity to be had internationally. So why wouldn't I leverage 
the technology to get there. And for me, it, it was more, it just made sense. You know, I, I guess it must have been some intuitive part of me that sort of foresaw the way that the world was moving. And it made, and when I started to try it, oh, let's do our, let's do our session today on Facebook video instead, you know, there's, you know, and it worked and, and let's post this on there and let's see, oh, there's a lead here. I can turn that into money, you know, and I don't take the payment like this. It, it, it just made sense to continue doing it and developing it and building that out and getting more progressive with the steps that I took with it and the world moved with it. And that's why um, we're heavily into VR now. So we already have a, an app on the, on the Oculus Facebook headset that's taken us about 18 months. We were speaking about it two years ago on a podcast, maybe two and a half years ago. It took us about nine months to a year to build and then like another nine months just to get it live on Oculus because they've got so backlogs on the metaverse to get that thing approved. So we were already thinking about the metaverse, I think, before Mark Zuckerberg even announced that he was changing to meta because, again, it's like I sometimes I, I feel like I can predict to a certain extent these waves. I feel like I understand the way the world moves and... I saw the online before it before it really came. It was pretty obvious to me. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to a lot of people that where the world was moving in that direction. But I think it's more denial that people they pretend it's coming, but I'm going to pretend it's not coming. But there's some people that are like, no, it's coming. I'm going to prepare for it. And I think it's the same with the VR and the AI. And it's only in recent months, really, with you know some of the new technology that's come out that people are going, ah, oh, okay, that is coming. <laughs> but there's a lot of people that again have known that's coming for a while, and we're trying to just stay one one step ahead of the game, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we were, we were chatting to someone earlier this week who started his own influencer marketing company. And, you know, a big part of building the company was making his own IP. That was a big thing because he kind of had the view that, you know, when it comes time to sell, this is where the inherent value is going to lie. And is that kind of a thought for you? You know, where, where are you heading? Obviously, you mentioned the, the AI VR style, but is there anything else you're, lo you're looking at that, you know, kind of is on the horizon? And is it part of a future sale um, kind of process? Is that what you're thinking? Um, I find that difficult because I'm on a real mission. So actually, I have in-depth conversations with people that are consulting on that kind of uh, part of the investment process. And we are raising investment at the moment and they often ask me that question. And I'm like, I find it difficult to be so passionate about wanting to make such a big change and then also say, I'm going to sell it in five years. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't, it feels contradictory to me. I'm kind of young enough to know that I've got longer than a five-year runway in me. Um, but of course, obviously, I know that it's silly to have, you know, an asset that's going to be growing into hundreds of millions of dollars and to not capitalize on that at some point. Um, but yeah, in terms of IP, we built all our IP ourselves. So we have our own web developers. Um, we, we contracted developers for the AI, uh, for the VR stuff and the AI stuff, but it's owned intellectual property. Um, our thing is blended learning. So we're, we're not necessarily a, a, just a tech, an ed tech business primarily, um, but we hit it from all angles. So it's connect, grow, meet, exchange. Connect is our social media app that we have where you can connect um, with other like-minded people. Uh, at the moment, it's coaches, but we're broadening that out into personal development and then actually into just ed tech generally. And we're providing that for both adults and children. Um, that's like the, the forecast in terms of product roadmap over the next few years of how we diversify into larger markets. But Connect is the social media community function. And we've done really well with that. I mean, for example, we have over 20 people that have this logo tattooed on their body, some of them on their hands. It's crazy, like on their finger. And we never ask them to, but they just really believe in the mission and the you know the identity that the coaching masters 
um, has given them, which is coach your way to freedom. And it's all about building this freedom-based passion-led online business. Anyway, connect is one part. Grow is the next part, and that's the ed tech. And we do that in a variety of ways from our membership site, um, which is a self-study online platform, to our interactive uh, courses, which have Zoom workshops at the moment. We're actually building out our own video uh, technology and also the accompanying uh, virtual reality experience you can have on top of that. Um, so that's Connect, Grow, Me. So we also have our first ever co-working space that we opened up in Bali, Indonesia. And that's a cafe and restaurant and also a place to work. And we also have workshops and training from those uh, co-working spaces. So that's now profitable, um, a great place to hang out and facilitates that offline because actually we've looked into market research and trends. And by 2023, there's actually going to be a, like a circle where people then are demanding and desiring um, offline elements again, because you know they're, they're going to get immersed in technology and AI to the point where they're sick of it and they want to go back into the real world. So that's why blended learning is important. And we have that meet function. And that might look like our own co-working spaces around the world, but it also look like meetups and events and things like that. And finally, exchange is our marketplace where you can safely exchange uh, educational products, coaching services, um, courses, and things like that um, with verification um, services on there to validate people's credentials and also escrow payment holding systems and things to make sure people don't get um, lose their money because it's obviously a big issue in this new modern day online internet marketing world where you don't really know who's going to deliver results and what you're going to get for your money. So that's a problem we're trying to solve as well. So those will be the elements of being able to deliver quite traditional online education. Well, it's not traditional, it is in my head, but it's not traditional for a lot of people, but standard online education with immersive virtual reality that has AI elements in there, like assessment models and things like that, that can give you feedback and responses. And also just go and meet people, you know, do a workshop in, in the real world. Um, and I think as long as we can blend that learning, it will appeal to all people and people will be able to, you know, dip in and out. And that will also combat a lot of people's fears around AI and VR replacing society and things like that, that people are worried about. But I think it will always complement and enhance what we have. And that comes down to a choice, you know, a choice of how much you want to be immersed into it. You know, you, no one's going to force you to put a VR headset on. So if you put a VR headset on for 20 minutes of the day and you get a, a learning experience that's effective of, of a five-hour training training experience, and then you take it off and go down to a one of our cafe coach co-working spaces and meet people for the rest of the day, then yeah, I think it's a win-win. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, you, you've, you've kind of mentioned the whole suite there, which is obviously really, really interesting to give people the context of that. But, you know, at, at the core of it, you know, is, is coaching and like you mentioned, the personal development. And, you know, you've been so honest with us, we'll be so honest with you. I mean, we at Business Leader, we get so many submissions of people, you know, coaches, I've started this coaching business, I'm doing this. And, you know, there is largely a very negative, I would say, view on coaching from the general public. There's definitely people who agree and have been through the process and absolutely love it. But how do you kind of feel that when you come across those people who are just like snake oil salesmen, that's that's all you're doing? You know, how, how do you feel and, and how are you, what are you doing to kind of overcome those those kind of objections? Well, the, the marketplace is really why we're creating that because we will verify people. So people have to submit their credentials and also submit a recorded coaching or consultancy session for us to actually observe that and give that a score like an Experian credit score. So people can see firsthand what their results are like as well as their, as well as their credentials because it's not always about qualifications. You could get 
snake oil salesman with a with a doctorate degree you know equally polarizingly you could have no education and also that could be a disadvantage as well um but the, the biggest thing is the escrow payment holding system where someone can't get you know they they can't lose their money because once there'll be like an agreement in place and the, the funds are only released to the person once the, the the results have been delivered a little bit like upwork or um fiverr in terms of these uh, freelancer websites and that that will stop the problem because people won't be able to scam people and they can try but they won't be able to so they'll, they'll have to stop um so that's what we're doing to combat it in terms of the negative opinion of it i do believe it's in in, in a lot more industries than just coaching i think Coaching is a growing industry. It's one of the, it's the second fastest growing sector in the world. It's got a compound annual growth rate of 6.7%. Uh, and it's um, a $20 billion industry. And it's really grown since the rise of being able to deliver in a simple fashion, like an online video call. So it's a very appealing industry for new people. And I think anything that's growing in that way will have teething problems. And it will look like there are more problems than they are because it's so large. But actually, if you go into any type of uh, industry, whether that be real estate or whether that be, uh, you, you'll find that there's equally as many of these people, but maybe uh, less so visible or uh, maybe not so much in our awareness or, you know, I don't know. If you, it, the algorithm is also set to, to show us all this stuff. You know, if we are in this world and we're speaking to these people and we're clicking on their stuff, like we'll get fed with more of it. And it's very easy to get consumed by it. Um, and also, you know, if you're seeing the negative side of things and, and that's all you're going to be able to use to create your perception of, of, of what the industry is like. But I get to see the other side, which is the huge impact that people are having on people's lives. There are people that are training to become coaches and they're able to then help thousands of people that then go off to help thousands of people you know it's almost like it's not an mlm but it's, it's <laughs> almost like this network marketing ripple effect of good things going throughout the world and in a way that we've never had before so there is huge huge advantages of people being trained on mindset personal development confidence fear emotional intelligence whatever it might be and going out and helping people with that even if it's not quite at the perfect standard and rippling that through the world but of course, there'll always be a select few that exploit that and take advantage of that. And I don't think we can ever really stop that in any industry um, because those people will find a way of doing it. Yeah, no, definitely. That's that's a that's a really good good answer. Thank you for that. And you know, you've already mentioned a couple of times that you are kind of in the the funding um, stage at the moment. Is this could you just give us a little bit of a, a background into your funding and kind of what you're looking to do at the moment? Yes, they're really quite impressive i don't mind saying thing about what we've done is we've actually been able to build the business to the 25 million dollar valuation with no debt no investment and no personal funding so we didn't even bootstrap it we actually i just launched a coaching one-to-one -one and then it ended up being we launched a course and that course made i think sixteen thousand pounds or seventeen thousand pounds then we reinvested that into hiring a few staff and then before you know it you know we're making like half a million a month or something sometimes um but um yeah, now we really want to scale up what we're doing. So we're, we've moved into scale up territory and we have a, like, for example, our ad ROAS return on ad spend is 9.1 um, return. So for every dollar we spend, we get $9 back. So we're just at the point now where we have something that's working very well and we want to do more of it. So that's why we want the investment. And we're looking for the first round is a seed round of, um, or a series A round, sort of in the between stages of, seed or pre-series a um no sorry no we've done the seed round so we did a community round um 
where we raised a million and that was just inside our community. And now we're into pre-series A um, where we're looking to raise 2 million. And then once we get that, we have a plan for what we use that for. And then once we get that, we're looking to raise another 10 million. And with those two blocks, um, it's quite crazy what we're forecasting, to be honest, but we're forecasting um, a billion dollar company in seven years. We're, we're really going for it. Yeah, like we, I, I think that I've identified, I've shared the next steps with you on this podcast, but I actually know the next 10 as well. And um, I think I've identified some core gaps in the market that people haven't. And I also think I know where the, the world's going in terms of something that I'd keep a bit less public. Um, and yeah, we have some big aspirations. So we're, we're, we're looking for the unicorn. Yeah, no, that, that's that's so exciting. And yeah, definitely watch the space. We're, we're, we're looking forward to, to seeing that growth. And, you know, there's, there's a lot been spoken about, about, you know, especially tech valuations, for example. Um, you know, there's quite a hostile kind of view towards tech companies in general. You obviously exempt from that because you are actually turning a profit and you, you you have that turnover and that's very impressive but there's a lot of companies that don't necessarily you know have that they've got these crazy valuations but nothing to back it up how are you kind of filing the finding the the appetite uh, amongst the uh, the investors that you're talking to um you know it, just in general at this time yeah i mean we we got our valuation done by an independent um valuation expert and it was like a 46 page report and they actually done things that i didn't even understand to get to that valuation i was just waiting for it to come through to know how much it was worth i didn't have a clue about how to do that um it was done basically on a, uh, a multiplier of um how much money we're making um rather than all this forecast there's people that like you said are pre-revenue but forecasting you know silly numbers and have like huge valuations but like you said ours is actually based on traction um and yeah we we received a million in investment but um and then we used that million and then we're now looking for more and i was living in bali and to be honest i know it sounds a little bit superficial but i really think that living in bali with my i had blonde highlights and i had my tattoos out i really think that the investors just didn't get it i just i think it's not that they didn't get it but they just it wasn't quite them so that i made I was having a baby, so that was one of the reasons. But the other reason was, well, was I think I need to go to London. I think I need to dye my hair back brown. I think I need to buy a suit. And I think I need to go and shake some people's hands again, you know, like I did back in the day in Portsmouth in the networking meetings. Because, you know, without sounding too manipulative, I think I need to play them at their own game, you know, in the way that they want to receive it. And uh, those that is what I think has, has, has led to a few people saying that it seems high risk because obviously our forecast, forecasts are very high. Um, but I am very, but a few people have said, oh, you, for example, one person said, oh, we, we, we would have given you the 10, but you know, but not the two, <laughs> you know, your, our smallest check size is 10. Another person said we would have invested, but we've got a similar competitor, you know, competitor on the book. So we've had some kind of yeses, but also some people that have just said, you know, it's too high risk. Um, I'm confident now that within the next two or three months, um, as I come back, and show a little bit more of a mature persona, which unfortunately I think does have to be done in business um, sometimes at the right appropriate moments to build that trust and connection with people so they don't know that their money is being spent in Asia across the, you know, the other side of the world. I think we'll get a better, um, get a better response. And I think that 2 million is gonna be raised very soon. 
No, it's, it's, it's such an exciting stage in the journey, that's for sure. And, you know, a, a bunch of our audience is going to be in exactly the same kind of, you know, place that you are. And, you know, I suppose the, the next big thing um, is going to be really securing that talent to help you really kick on. Yeah. Um, as far as kind of, you know, the, the, the people you've put around you so far, you know, in your journey, how have you found that, um, you know, and... I, I could imagine, again, I'm speaking on your behalf, so feel free to say no, but, you know, with a background such as yours that's a bit turbulent, did you have a kind of trust uh, issue with people coming in and being close to effectively what you're building? Was that was that something you ever encountered? Or how did you find kind of getting those people around you to uh, to really help you grow this business? Uh, no, never had the trust issue. Um, my challenge, I would say, is um, finding the right people because... When you're a startup, you can't necessarily really afford to pay for people that have got a mega amount of experience and a lot of talent and things like that. So you, you kind of have to, you know, pay for, you know, pay salary within a, a reasonable price range, which might not get you the results you're looking for. So, so the way that I've had to do it is be very, is, is luckily I'm, I'm able to, it's hard to say this about sounding arrogant, but... I'm luckily able to apply myself to many departments and actually understand how they work without really needing to dig too deep and, and know how to direct those, those teams. So I've been very much uh, an instrumental part of running the company. If you was to take me out, it would, it would be very difficult uh, up until more recently. Um, it'd be very, it would have been very difficult for the company to grow. So I wouldn't say that, you know, there was this very, very self-sufficient team that I could just step out of and it would continue to work. It was very much like, could be quite brutal at times, you know, in terms of having to get rid of people or hiring new people or changing things, you know, and it can be quite a stressful environment to, you know, keep things afloat and keep things growing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I found it diff difficult, I think, to find the right people at the right price point at the right time because i because i it's difficult i think to find the people that are really good at something because if they're really good at it in the entrepreneurial world they were doing it for themselves for making their own money that's what i think like for example when i try and find someone for ad management i'm like the best ad people are running ads to their own products you know and if they if they want a salary is running ads that you know they, they probably aren't going to be the, the most amazing people. And I find that in quite a lot of roles. So that is interesting you bring that up because I'd say that's probably one of my biggest challenges is finding the right team um, uh, that can be self-sufficient. But as you build throughout the years, you know, we're four years in now to this particular company. I was doing the coaching before and it was around my brand, but now it's in the coaching masters itself. Um, we've been able to fill spot by spot. Like finally this, oh, this, this department is now sufficient. That spot is now got the right person. And and it starts to come together and come together. And then, oh, there's a few problems. You have to, you know, move people about and take people out. It's like a, a game of chess, I guess. But um, we're getting closer and closer. And eventually there'll become a point where I go, now it's time to change the CEO because now I'm no longer, but maybe, maybe not. Who knows? I might be able to grow with it. But I also think that there, there probably will become a point where there's someone better and there's someone and we can afford somebody better. And, you know, it would be, it would be, um, egocentric, egocentrical. Is that the word? Egocentrical. Egocentric of me if I was to not allow the company to develop because of me being in the way. So yeah, I'd probably be the last piece to, to, to be replaced for that talent. But, um, 
yeah, it's an ever evolving process. And as days go by, we, we get more efficient and more, um, yeah, more efficient as a team. No, that, that honesty is so refreshing. And, you know, we, we've had a few people say exactly the same thing, but, you know, you find those entrepreneurs who really, really hold on to it as if they're their baby, you know, they end up actually hampering the growth. And the fact that you're at that stage already where you're like, you know, it will come a point where it'll almost outgrow you. That's that's yeah. a really refreshing honesty. Thank you for that. And, you know, obviously for yourself, you've, you've uh, you know, you've been through a, a 12-step program um, you know, someone like Russell Brand wrote a book on how you can apply 12-step to everyday life. Have you kind of caught yourself at all? I know obviously there's NLP, there's a lot of stuff going on that you've you've trained in, you know very well, but do you ever kind of catch yourself going like, oh, that's actually, that's that's one of the steps. That's <laughs> that's where I learned it as far as, as far as the leadership side of things go. Yeah, I mean, I think the 12-step, I can't remember the exact wording, it's something like continue to practice these principles and to share the message with other people in for the rest of your life in some respect um and that's pretty much what i do i continue to share what i've learned with other people um it might not look direct anymore it might look like a podcast or it might look like building a team or selling courses um, but it's continued to share that message but they're more ingrained now like i'm probably less aware of the exact steps and the things that i've picked up and I don't know if you've learned about the five steps of learning but you get to the point where you're unconsciously competent so you you first have to learn everything and then you get to a point where it's just in your subconscious and you're just acting on those things that you've learned and you don't know why you're reacting or responding um, in a certain way you just do. And that's, that's good if you programmed yourself in the right way and bad if you programmed yourself in a, in a, not necessarily a bad way, but a different way. So um, I wouldn't say I'm consciously aware of it, but for sure everything I do is, 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 has been, um, developed from the, the backbone of the training, the education, the coaching, the, the counseling, the, the therapy and the journey that I've been on. It's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Center to bring you the good news postcard. Lewis, today your question comes from Dexter, age 10. Hello, my name is Dexter and I, I'm a student at St Anne's Church Academy, Westwick, and I have a question for you. When you were 10 years old, what job did you want and why? Dexter, let me have a few seconds to think about that. Oh, okay, it's just hit me, yeah. I just remembered. It's very deep, though. I don't know how long I've got to answer this question, but I wanted to be an actor, actually. That was the first thing I wanted. Um, And the reason for that is because I had a desire for significance, and I thought that the limelight and the spotlight would maybe give me that. It was less conscious at the time. It wasn't something that was going through my mind, but on reflection, that was what was happening for me. But what I realized in later on in life was that need for significance was actually coming from a deeper place of wanting to be loved. And if I was able to give myself love, receive love from other people, then I, that need for significance would no longer be as dominant. So I wanted to be an actor. I still want to be an actor, but the drivers from it uh that's actually another plot twist i want to be an actor in the future but um the drivers for it are very different which is why i'm not currently pursuing it now but what i would say is if i do go from wanting to be an actor to having a very difficult time in life to building a business to being an actor i may as well have just been an actor in the first place so whatever dream you have now at 10 years old start with that that is a brilliant answer to a brilliant question. 
Thank you very much, Lewis. And, you know, we are business leaders, so we have to ask you the question, uh, what to you makes a great business leader? To me personally, at this stage is all I can comment on because uh, I don't necessarily agree with this approach long term, but I know that it's been instrumental to where I've got to today, and that is to be strategic with decisions and try not to be emotionally involved with fear or repercussions or backlash or any of this kind of influence that could stop you from making progress. Statistically, the results of businesses, you know, are low. And that is usually down to the person and the obstacles they put in their way. Kind of have to put them to one side and think and make the right decision quickly um, in order to be able to make enough progress to, to, to get on that conveyor belt and traction of moving forward. I think later on, once you become more stable and steady and that growth has that momentum, you can slow down with that more direct and strategic approach and be a little bit more in touch with the emotional intuitive side and look around you and nurture people and support people in a more comforting way. But I think that actually to get yourself up and running which is all I can speak to at this point, direct, quick, strategic, almost emotionless decision-making skill is actually an advantage. And that's my honest answer. No, that's, that's, a, that's a great answer again. Um, you know, obviously you're on such an exciting journey. Um, if people wanted to follow your journey and kind of find out more about yourself, uh, how did they do that? Well, the business is thecoachingmasters.com and myself is lewisraymondtaylor.com and you can find either myself or the business on any social media with those handles as well. So I love to connect and I connect with everybody that I speak to. So if you were to drop me a DM, I would uh, be happy to have a chat. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out.